Good morning. We're going to read from God's Word now, and we're reading from John chapter 8, which is on page 1073 of the Pew Bibles, if you would like to follow it there. John chapter 8, and we're beginning to read at verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him, Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, My testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from and where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, well, where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him, because his hour had not yet come. Amen. We thank God for his word. Let's just pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your written word. And we pray that as we dwell within it now, that we would encounter the living word, Jesus Christ. Come and speak to our hearts, we pray. Amen. I've just got a short video clip to introduce our theme. If the technology works, let's give it a go. Recognize it? On the 31st of December 2018, crowds of over 100,000 people gathered on the banks of the Thames to see London's New Year's Eve fireworks display. 
Millions of people around the world watched it on TV as well. You may have been one of them. Um, It's considered to be an iconic British symbol of celebrating the arrival of a new year. And this year, the display lasted 11 minutes. That's a long time to fill with fireworks. And it cost more than three million pounds. We do love a good fireworks display, don't we? Fireworks were invented in the 9th century in China. And China is still today the world's biggest producer and exporter of fireworks. And right from the very beginning, they were used for celebrations and festivals. And today we still use them for our celebrations to mark something that we think is special. And even in our advanced technological age today, it's really interesting that there is still something really... We live in an age where light isn't a luxury. We live surrounded by light. Our homes are lit. Our streets are lit. Um, From space... You can trace the population centers of the earth, can't you, in the outlines of the countries. And in the lead up to Christmas, we all saw, um, I'm sure, some people's homes decorated with thousands of lights. Light is a toy for us now. For utility or for pleasure, we can just press a switch and have as much of it as we want. In Jesus' time, light was a luxury. There was no electricity. There was no outdoor lighting at all. People's homes were lit by simple olive oil lamps. But those wouldn't give anything like the kind of light that we're used to living with in our homes. Just put the little picture of the lamp up for me. They're really quite small, just with some oil in it and a wick, rather like a candle, really. So there was no electricity, no outdoor lighting at all, and just little oil burners like this in the home. In chapter 7, the chapter before chapter 8, which we read, John specifically tells us that what he's about to describe happened at the time of the Festival of Tabernacles, which is also known as the Festival of Shelters. And this was the most important festival in the Jewish calendar. It lasted for seven days, and the people would build temporary shelters, which they would live in for those seven days, as a reminder of the time when their ancestors had lived for 40 years in temporary shelters as they traveled through the wilderness. And also during that festival week, there would be a great show of lights every night, and that's what this next picture is. Great fires would light up the nighttime And in the temple, which was the centre of Jewish life, which is what this is, four huge golden bowls were placed on tall stands, so they had to be reached by a ladder. And the bowls were filled with oil, and, and they had wicks, and it would be lit. They would be lit as huge, huge lamps lighting up the whole of the temple court. And so this picture just gives us an idea of what that might have looked like. In a world that had no public lighting after dark, this would have been really spectacular. And the purpose of the lights were to remind the people of God's presence with them when they were in the desert. In Exodus 13, we read that God led the people into the wilderness, but he gave them visible evidence that he was with them day and night 
leading them with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And that is what they were celebrating and reminding themselves of with this festival of light each night. That light in the wilderness that had guided their people. The physical proof that God was with them in the wilderness. A clear, visible, reassuring marker that he was still there taking care of them. And so they didn't forget it. Those four huge golden bowls would burn in the temple court more brightly during this festival week than anything else during the year. And fires would burn outside as well, lighting up the darkness, celebrating and reminding the people that God used fire, used light to demonstrate his presence with them. Every night for a week, they'd be able to see this massive celebration of light in the darkness. On the day after the festival ended, it says that Jesus went to the temple. Those great golden bowl lamps were probably still there on their stands, but they're not lit now. The festival is over and they're waiting to be taken down. Jesus was probably standing underneath them. And we know that because in verse 20 of chapter 8, John tells us specifically that Jesus was teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. And that was in that main courtyard that we can see in the picture. So Jesus stands beneath those huge golden bowl lamps, which have burned brighter all week than anything else the people had ever seen. He stands beneath them and he says, I am the light of the world. It was an outrageous thing to say. It was an appalling thing to say because there was no doubt, there could be no doubt in the people's minds that in saying it, Jesus was identifying himself as God. I am the light of the world. He's deliberately echoing words and images that would have been very meaningful to the people, particularly on the very next day after the festival ended, with that great spectacle of light in their minds. And it would have been made even more dramatic because of the incident which happened immediately before he speaks those words. Over the previous few chapters, the Pharisees have been getting more and more annoyed with Jesus. And they're determined to get rid of him. They're constantly looking now for ways to trap him, to discredit him, and rid themselves of this aggravating man who's attracting so much attention. So now in the first part of chapter 8, before the bit that we read, Jesus is teaching in the temple court. And they drag a woman in front of him. They've caught her in the act of adultery. They've dragged her into the temple court and they make her stand there in front of Jesus and the whole crowd. So teacher, tell us what you think should happen to this woman. Now they've caught him. 
The law was very clear on this. The woman deserved to die. According to the law, she should be stoned to death for adultery. And they've trapped him because if Jesus said she shouldn't die, he would be clearly contradicting the holy law of Israel and that would discredit him. If he said she should die, he would lose his reputation as this merciful healer and Messiah that has been drawing people to him. They've got him now. What's he going to say? Interestingly, it takes two people for an act of adultery to take place. Presumably there was a man involved somewhere, but they're not interested in him, it seems. They've let him go. They're going to overlook his crime. But they've swooped in and pounced on the woman, probably because she was the worthless and powerless one in this situation. She's an easy target for them. Someone they can easily feel superior to. And now she's a pawn in their little game. But Jesus isn't going to play. He will have no part in their power games. He ignores them and stoops down and writes in the dust. When they keep on demanding his answer, he says, all right, but let the person who has never sinned throw the first stone. And that absolutely floors them. He hasn't said she's not guilty. He hasn't said she doesn't deserve to die. But he highlights the sin in each one of them. And that none of us are any more worthy or any less guilty than anyone else. One by one, every person standing there with a stone in their hand and judgment in their heart, ready to relish a good death by stoning of a sinner, someone who really deserves it. One by one, they drop their stones and melt away. And Jesus is left with his original crowd and the woman. Where are your accusers? Jesus asks her. Did none of them condemn you? No, says the woman. Then neither do I, says Jesus. And in those words is the fullness of the grace and glory of God. Some of the most grace-filled words in the Bible. The Pharisees are all about the law. They believe that the way to bring about God's kingdom on earth was for every single aspect of the law to be fulfilled in every tiniest detail by every single person. And their priority had actually become maintaining their own power rather than really understanding the truth of God. But Jesus speaks from the heart of holy God. When he acknowledges her guilt, 
but says, I will not condemn you for it. Go and do things differently now. It's kind of a miniature soap opera that's been played out in the temple court that day in front of the crowd who were presumably bemused by all that they had seen. He, she, what? And with his next breath, Jesus speaks to the gathered crowd again. Standing under those huge golden bowl lamps, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This image of light would have had so many Old Testament resonances for them. In Isaiah chapter 9, our much-loved words that we usually read at Christmas. Let's read them again now with that encounter with the woman and the Pharisees fresh in our minds. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness... A light will shine. What does it mean to live in a land of deep darkness? It means that the truth of God is not visible. In Wales, you can go underground and visit some of their abandoned coal mines and slate mines. So come on a journey with me. We're heading underground We're kitted up in our climbing gear, harness, boots, safety helmet with a lamp. And we follow the guide down into the tunnel. It's narrow and dark and cramped. Down, down we go. We cross ancient timber bridges with darkness below. We abseil one by one off breathtaking drops down into the darkness, sinking deeper and deeper into the earth. It's damp and it's dark, apart from our little helmet lamps. And finally, we reach the very lowest floor of the mine, 1,300 feet below the mountain. And you look up, imagining all that rock above you. And now the guide says, okay, we're going to switch off our lamps. And one by one, they go out, and yours is the last. Now that's darkness. So deep below the earth that not the tiniest glimmer of light can make it down there. The darkness surrounds you. And your brain is confused because you can feel that your eyes are open, but it's as though you had them closed. Without light, our eyes may be working, but they can't see. Without light, we can't see anything. We can't see what's in front of us. We can't see what's around us. We're pretty helpless, actually. I could wave my hand in front of my face and not see it at all. 
Someone else could wave their hand in front of my face and I wouldn't have a clue. My eyes are open, but I can see nothing. Now we turn our lights back on and now we know where we are again and that feels good. Now our eyes can function. We can see where the obstacles are. We can see where we need to go. We can see the way out. And we can see where our guide is. We make our way back to the surface. And as we emerge back into the sunlight, it feels like we've been to a different world. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. He's saying here that if we're not following him, we're walking in the dark. We think we know where we're going, but really we don't. When we're in darkness, we can't see what's really there. Things are hidden from us. Only Jesus is the true light. Wherever the darkness is in your life, whether it's in your present or your past, Jesus says you don't have to live in the darkness. That thing that's come to define you, that you just can't escape from, that seems to affect everything you try to do. The voice inside you that says you're useless and worthless and unloved, unwanted. That you're unforgivable or unredeemable. That you're just not good enough that there's no way out, or that things can never change, that there's no hope. That is the voice of the enemy, and he is a liar. You may look back over your life, or at the person that you are now, and feel shame, feel guilt, Feel rejection, feel isolation, just like the woman. But Jesus speaks these words over you as he spoke them over her. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you will not walk in darkness because you'll have the light of life. Those words can change everything. You are not defined by your past or even by your present, who or what you were or are now. Your identity is not what someone else has said you are. It's what Jesus says you are. And he says you are his beloved one. Do you believe that? I wondered if the woman was still standing there. And did he look at her when he said it? 
the woman who the Pharisees had written off as irredeemably sinful and not worth anything anyway. In that moment, there was light in her darkness and everything looked different. I am the light of the world, he says, not just the light for one person, not just the light for the ones who deserve it, the ones who pass the test, the ones who are good enough. He's the light for every person, the light of the world. And when we follow him, then we have him. He is the light, and he says that when we follow him, we will have the light that gives life. No other requirements. Whoever we are, whatever we are, we just have to follow. And when Jesus said, follow me to his first disciples, he was inviting them to leave behind their old life, everything that had defined them before, and to come and learn a new life, a new way with him. So to follow him meant leaving things behind. They couldn't follow him whilst also staying at home. And when Jesus says, follow me to us, he's inviting us to leave behind what is past. To leave behind the things that have defined us before. And to come and discover a new way of living, a new way of being. We don't get it all at once. We have to be willing to stick with it and learn as we go, as the disciples did. But it's a life that's lived in the light instead of the darkness. That's what he's offering. Throughout John's gospel, people persistently misunderstood Jesus. They were confused by him and he really divided opinion over who he really was. And we find this question again and again through John, who is Jesus really? Mostly people are perplexed by him. They don't really know what to make of him. Some of them, including the Pharisees, think that he should be arrested or killed because to them he's blaspheming by claiming to be God. But some of them, it's a smaller number, some of them are really struck by what he's saying. Chapter 7 tells us that the Pharisees sent out the temple guards to go and arrest Jesus, but they disobey their orders and they won't do it. Why haven't you brought him in? demand the Pharisees. We've never heard anyone speak like him, they reply. They know. They know there is something about him that is like nothing they've ever encountered before. Throughout John's Gospel, Jesus presents himself in different ways as God in human form. And what he's saying here in the temple is one of them, that I am the light of the world. 
And he's using language and imagery that would have been very clear to those people at that time. He is claiming to be able to protect and lead and guide and provide for the people as God did in the wilderness. A lot of them either just didn't understand him or they didn't believe him. And they dismissed him as a crackpot. How could he be God? But this question is absolutely vital. If he was just a bit crazy and thought he was God, then we really shouldn't be following his teaching today. But if it was true, then we really can't ignore it. And that's what that confusing little conversation is about in verses 13 to 20 of the passage that we read. Jesus makes this really big, really outrageous statement about being the light of the world. And then he doesn't mention anything about light again for the rest of the conversation. It feels like the Pharisees are leading him off into a digression and he lets them. Why does he do that? Why does he let himself get tangled up in that conversation? It's because Jesus knows that actually this digression conversation is also all about the main point. The main point being whether his claim to be God is true. And they are standing there looking at this all too human person and saying, how can he possibly be God? It's nonsense. And Jesus tells them to stop judging by human standards, by outward appearance, by what your eyes can see. There is so much more than what our human eyes can see, than our human understanding can see. We are blind until God opens our eyes to the truth. We are truly in darkness. Someone could wave a hand in front of our face and we wouldn't have a clue. We need him to open up our understanding, to shine his light into our consciousness. We can't do that by ourselves. And what we believe about who he is really matters makes a huge difference. Whether you believe he was just a good man who said some good things, or whether you believe he was God. Because if that bit's true, that he is God, then the rest of it is true as well. If it's true when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, I am God then the next bit is true as well. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If he is God, then I really need to follow him. Because I don't want to live in the dark. Light is revealing In the Bible, often light means truth. 
Often where the word light appears, we could substitute the word truth. Because light reveals the truth. The truth can't be hidden anymore. Jesus came to reveal God's truth. He came to announce the truth because he was the truth. And in his very being, he exposed every untruth. To that woman that day, he was the truth of God. And he had come to set her free from every untruth about sin and sinners. The truth is that every single one of us is guilty, but every single one of us qualifies for the grace and mercy of God. Every single one of us is in need of him to rescue us. And every single one of us can be rescued by him. We only have to ask. There is no one who cannot be reached and changed by his grace. And there is no one who doesn't need to be. So if you're a follower of Jesus, the word for you this morning is that you have the light of life. You are a new creation. You can live in the truth. You can be what he created you to be. Ephesians 5 says, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. So don't live your life without realizing and embracing who you really are. Reaching your full potential as children of light. Don't miss out on that. Don't go through the whole of your life without ever truly seeing and grasping who and what you really are. Despite whatever struggles and difficulties you have, and we do still have them, but despite all of that, you are a child of the light. By choosing to follow Jesus, you have that light of life. I don't know about you, but for me at times, the darkness starts creeping back in. I don't live every day in the sunshine. I wish I could. I get bogged down and I feel hopeless and helpless. And the things that I struggle with start to get the upper hand again in me. I start believing things that are not the truth. But we are children of light. And we need to affirm that and we need to put our trust in that. We need to look up to that light, the pillar of fire that leads us forward and that tells us that God is with us. Light brings truth and truth brings life. Life in all its fullness. And if you're sitting here this morning and you haven't tried following Jesus for yourself, 
but you've sat in the darkness long enough. And this morning you're starting to see that he's offering you the light of life. Reach out and take it. If the Spirit is at work in your heart and mind this morning, and you know that he's doing something in you, that he's speaking to you, listen. Let him speak over you his light and truth. Let him show you who you really are. He's longing for him, for you to come to him, his precious child. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light that leads to life. Let's just sit quietly for a moment and just allow God to speak to our hearts. just got a candle here which I'm I'm just going to light it as a symbol of God's light I'll do that in a minute I'm going to pray now and if you want this prayer can be your prayer too Jesus please will you come And shine your light into the dark places that are in me. Don't want to be in the dark. I want to be in the light, your light. Please will you set me free from the power of the dark and bring me into your light. Please will you open my eyes so that I can begin to see the truth about myself and about you. Jesus, I trust in you. Come and make me new, I pray. Amen.